Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Amen, good. That was a marathon, all right, wasn't it, um, Tash? A marathon of... So, um, it's good. You all see that? Yeah? See my writing? Um, you see that all right there at Warwick? Yes, you see that? Good, okay. Nice to um, <laughs> um, Warwick loves the flip chart. Um, the, uh, it's so good to be with you tonight. Uh, we, we've had Dave and Katie and Tash and Robbie, and then they thought they'd bring the age up a little bit ever so, and um, they'd get me, and then they're, they're, I don't know, it's like from the sublime to ridiculous, and then we've got Grant next week, so um, it's going to be, sorry, Grant couldn't, so, um, so uh, but it's really, it's really, really good. We've had a great, you know, it's been a, a great series. Bless you, William. Bless you. Bless you, Lord. Bless William in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you going to stay with me? Are you going to? All right. There you go. So, right, you, you behave. Um, there, uh, we, we, have a Dave, we have a Dave doing the leadness and the, the stirring up the gift that's in you. We have Katie holding fast. We have Tash being strong. We have Robbie looking at preaching the Word. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the idea of continuing on, how to continue in the faith. We know that um, Dave talked about this on the first night. Why did Paul write to Timothy? He wrote to him for many, many reasons, because he was a spiritual son. Timothy had got saved in a place called Lystra, which was on um, a, a route that um, Paul would have been on in his very first missionary journey. Um, and Paul entrusted leadership to Timothy. He became the pastor and the leader of the church in Ephesus, which probably was one of the most dynamic um, breath-giving, life-giving churches um, in the whole of the New Testament. And then, of course, he encouraged them as a young man. He told them not to let anybody despise him because he was young, but to stir up that gifting among them. It was interesting that this second letter that we're on with all of these charges was probably the last piece of writing that Paul would ever do. Um, it was written in around 66, 67 AD, and Paul lost his life in 67 AD. He was beheaded under the reign of the Emperor Nero, who was a bit of a madman, really. And after the great fire in Rome, he blamed the Christians on it, and many of the Christians were executed. And Paul, um, most likely, was one of them at that time. And so tonight, what we're going to look at is this Word, continue, we're going to try and unpack that a little bit and some more. It was Helen Keller who said this. Helen Keller said, life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing at all. Now, those words would ring true no matter who said them, um, but coming from someone who lived a life like Helen Keller, um, I think gives them a little bit of extra merit for her consideration. She was born blind and deaf and unable to speak, and she found some way or another out of her darkness to connect into the world around her. And her story is probably one of the greatest miracles of the 20th century, uh, and millions of people have been drawn inspiration from Helen Keller. So I asked you to consider her words a second time. Life is either a daring adventure or it is 
nothing at all. When you bring this into everyday language, I think she's saying something like this, that the life of faith is inherently a life of risk. The life of faith is inherently a life of risk. For some of us in this room have been brought up in Christian homes, it's maybe not that big a risk to um, trust in God. For some people who met in Shalom this afternoon, it's a completely different picture. For some people that I ministered to this morning, it's a completely different picture. It's a life of rest, something. So we go back to the Bible and we begin to take a look at men and women who did something for God, men and women who made a mark, were all people, I think, who in some shape or form took a risk. I've made a little list. Noah built an ark in dry ground, probably had never, ever even seen water. He'd never been to Newcastle or saw the seaside. Abram got called out of Ur of the Chaldees to go to a promised land that he would, God said, I'll, I'll tell you where you're going when you set out. That's the sort of a faith this man had. Moses led the people out of, uh, the people of God out of Egypt into a wilderness which they would travel around, which was probably about an 11-week journey, which eventually ended up taking about 39 and a half years. Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho about 13 times before they fell down. David defeated Goliath. Um, Elijah faced down the 400 prophets of Baal. Esther risked everything to save her people. Daniel refused to defile himself with the king's food or to, to pray to a foreign god. And of course, Nehemiah led the Jews to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And on and on I could go. On and these are just a few that I picked out today or, or during the week. And these are just some people who we know in some shape or form risked something when it came to the accolades of God. And when you read the Bible again and again, you discover that men and women who accomplished great things of God weren't content to accept the status quo. It wasn't that they were wonderful people. It wasn't that they were better or mightier than any of you in the room or any stronger. As a matter of fact, it warts and bumps like all of us, but they just couldn't settle for the status quo. They, they thought that, that that more could be done if only someone would step out and do it. More could be done, and more could happen, and, and, and if, if someone would just lead the way, and when no one did, they stepped up to the parapet, and they led themselves, they volunteered, and they learned the act of how to continue. And so that's what we want to do tonight. We want to talk about this word, continue. My passage that I've been given tonight is 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. It's on the screen out of the ESV version, all right? But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know uh, those whom, from whom you learned it and how from your childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he makes this incredible statement that we're going to look at in a moment. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good word. I'm going to take a look at this verse, in, or these few verses in sections tonight, and we're going to start with looking at the very first word, but, but, as you continue in what you have learned. 
It's very powerful. This continue means to remain and to stay in what you've learned to believe, to conserve the truth, to what, what you've been brought up and what you know and trust. He's saying, don't leave it. Don't turn away from it, whatever you do. And the reason there's a but at the beginning of the sentence is because Paul is contrasting what he's saying with the previous verse, verse 13. He's talking about some people who didn't persevere in verse 13. He's talking, this is what he says, evil people, he says, and imposters will go on. They didn't stay in. They didn't continue. He said they go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's interesting, the word for go on is the word advance or to progress or to proceed. These people didn't stay in. These people didn't continue. These people didn't hold on. They, they, they went the opposite direction. They progressed in a wrong direction. They are the people who in the fourth chapter and verse four, he says they turn away from listening to the truth and they wander off into myths. Many myths today, and there's many things going about, and we've got the plagued internet that there's a million ideas at the touch of a button. You want to know the answer to a question? Well, put the question into Google, and you'll get a thousand answers to it, and probably none of them will make much sense. But Paul is saying, listen, Timothy, son, don't turn away. Don't consider to leave behind what is true. It's so important. So the main point of this text to Timothy and to us as people today is to hold on and to continue in and to remain in the truth that we have believed. Now in the passage, what we're going to look at really quickly, oh, I can't see the clock because of the flip chart, that's so good. Um, what, what, we're, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at six reasons for why he should hold fast. All right, so we're going to do it really quickly. Six reasons in this passage. And in, the, in principle, these six reasons, I think, are, are valid for you and me as well because they point to the solid ground uh, to, the, to the truth that Timothy has embraced. All right? Um, so here we go. All right? He's saying, first of all, um, because you know from whom you learned it. He said, one of the reasons, Timothy, you should continue on is because you know those who taught you. There's something so incredible about this. One reason we believe the truth is because of the reliable sources from where we learn it. This is why family is so important. This is why our church was born around a table and why we've always tried to beat the emphasis of family. So important that we understand who has taught us these principles. Um, I, I remember when I started out in my counseling, I'm not a counselor, but I did do some levels of counseling. And one of the first ones that um, Jill and I, way, way back, went to was a, was a course called Parents First. And it was actually helping to counsel children. And um, it was counseling children who had been abused sexually. And one of the things in the Parents First course that they taught me many, many years ago was that um, when you look at the, the statistics of where children actually learn their sexual education from, you'll find the stats show that the first person they learn it from are their friends. And the second place is usually school, and the third, and sometimes it could be fourth and fifth down the list, is parents. And so the, the counseling course was called Parents First, because parents, we have the responsibility 
to tell our children about those things. And it's not just a fancy wee birds and bees talk. It's telling them the truth whenever you feel that is applicable. And so it's really important for Timothy. This was probably his mother and his grandmother. And notice how, how the verse refers to Timothy's childhood. It says how from a child you have been acquainted with the holy scriptures or the authorized uses the phrase the sacred writings. I love this. You recall that in the first chapter of this book that Paul referred to Lois, um, Timothy's grandmother, and to Eunice, his mother, and he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And the point Paul is making is that part of Timothy's reason for standing his ground for the truth is that he's learned it, the, the and, and looking through the character traits who taught him. It's so important. It's so important. Now, the point is not that, the point is not that nice mothers and, and nice grandmothers don't make mistakes. The point is that there was something about these two women that Paul was pointing out that he was saying, Timothy, you'd be very silly to move from what they've taught you. In fact, you should hold fast to everything that they've taught you. And the test is not infallible, but Paul is saying part of the foundation of your confidence is who you are taught by and the kind of people they really are. Reliable testimonies are a valid source of true knowledge, and the quality of the witness increases the credibility of the testimony. Let me say that to you again. The quality of the witness increases the credibility of the testimony. I am shocked. I am shocked today as a father, um, as a father personally with five kids and nine grandkids, as a father in this house, and as a father now to many pastors and teachers, I am, I am shocked at the level of credibility that decreases more and more. I find leaders all, all over who, who have stopped being too hard on themselves only to avail to the other side of the coin where they've actually started to be far too easy on themselves. And they tolerate things from themselves that they would never tolerate from their congregation. And that's sad. All right? So the quality of the witness increases the credibility of the testimony. If somebody's going to tell me something that I want to stake my life on, I want to make sure that person has quality um, in their character. I want to make sure that their character, not that they're perfect, but that their character their character holds up. The second thing, really quickly, he says, how from a child you've learned these holy scriptures. I love this. The term holy scriptures or sacred writings literally means holy writings. Don't forsake the scriptures of your youth, Timothy, because they bear the marks of God's holiness. These are incredible. The holiness of these writings refers to their divine quality. They're, they're, they're separate from every other thing. They're not like any other book you'll read. No matter how great the author, he said these are completely different. They bear the marks of a divine author. They bear the marks of the Holy One of Israel. They carry the marks of holiness. So Paul has sent Timothy, stay with what you've learned, because these writings are holy. They bear the distinguishing marks of the one and true holy God. So don't turn away from them. Ask God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. Next one, he said, these scriptures, they're able to make you wise for salvation. I, I, I love this. One of the ways we come to trust the message is by the power it has to change people's lives. You see, this book 
is a very powerful book. This is not just some other thing or other book that you would get on a stand. This is the dunamis power of God. This is in, the Bible says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. This is the, this is the, the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. This is the living, written Word of God, the rhema of God. And that is why this is so powerful, so powerful because it is the power to change. I was in King's Fellowship in, in Bangor this morning. I walked into the door. This lady came up to me and she said, do you remember me? And I said, of course I remember you. And, and she said, look, I need to apologize because whenever I went to your church, I broke your heart. And I said, yes, you did. And, um, and, uh, but I love you and I forgive you. And we give, we give each other a hug. And, and, and she said, you know what? She said, all the teaching, all the teaching over the years, it just finally, Phil, it sank in. Finally sank in and just changed this old hard heart. And she said, this old hard-hearted person you once knew is gone. And we give her a hug and, and I said, I love you. And she said, I love you. And then I, I preached and, and after I preached, this guy come up to me and he says to me, do you remember me? And, uh, you know, and I goes, yeah, yeah, um, you know that moment? And I goes, no, I can't. He says, my name's Jeffrey. I says, well, I have a brother called Jeffrey, and, um, but you're not him. And, uh, and uh, he said, uh, he says, three years ago, three years ago, he said, I came to one of your healing services in church. And he said, you prayed for me. And he said, the doctor had given me five months to live three years ago. And he says, look at me. And I said, what was wrong with you? He said, I had cancer. And I says, what, what about you now? Totally clearful. All gone. All gone. Amazing, isn't it? Because it's the power of the Word of God and the power of this Scripture, able to make you wise even for salvation. The Scriptures are unique, uniquely designed to, to correct folly and to impart wisdom, which can... It's just embracing truth, folks. This, these, don't leave the Scriptures. Paul said, Timothy, don't leave this. There is truth and the power to change, and the wisdom that leads even on to salvation. And then he says it's through faith in Christ Jesus. We're number four. All right, so we're going well. Don't leave the truth of the Scriptures, he said, Timothy, which led you to Christ. It's true that you met Jesus back in Lystra, um, but it was the holy writings. It was all the stuff that you learned, all the stuff that was stoked up in that furnace and in that fire of your life. You see, the Scriptures prepared your mind and your heart to see Jesus for who He is. So don't walk away from the writings that brought you to Christ. There is something unique about this powerful Word that draws us to Him. All right? Number five. Okay? And then he says this. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. I love this. I love this. All right? This is... I think this is one of the most important statements in the Bible. I'm going to try and say this next word. It's the word, I broke it up. Um, it's the word theonoustos. It's the Greek word. And what it means, I put it up because I wanted you, it means we would, we would usually say the word inspired. The word of God is inspired. Now that sells it a little bit short, all right? 
Because we could say, well, I went to that concert last night, and man, it was truly inspired. I went to a U2 concert, and man, it was, it was inspired. We could say, we could use that. It's a bit like, it's a bit like saying, you, you know, you love fish and chips, and you love Jesus, isn't it? It's a bit like we use that word love a bit glibly. And, and, and so it's a bit like this. When we say it's inspired, we sell it a little bit short. Um, but, but here's what he's saying. He's saying that the, 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 the Word of God was actually breathed out. That's what that word means. It was breathed out of the very mouth of God, right? It was like God's own words. This is, this is the uniqueness of this. And that, that is why this Jewish family of Timothy and Lois and Eunice knew and believed and loved this incredible word. Jesus said this himself in John 14.10. He said, I don't speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. He says something's coming from the inside out. This word inspired wasn't just a, a flick of a thing. God put an idea into a man's head and he wrote it down. It was bigger than that. It was breathed out of the very inspiration of who God is and it was, it was translated and breathed into these men and into these writers of holy writ. And so uh, Paul focuses on the writings himself, not on the writers, and he tells Timothy not to forsake the truth of these writings because he says these writings are God-breathed. They're the, they're the Yahweh of God. That's where that word came from, the breath of God, the Ruach, the holy wind of God. God's influence was not simply on the mind of writers in general, but his attention to the process of Scripture creation was such that when their minds and hands composed actual Scripture words, these words were so much God's words that Paul says the writings themselves are God-breathed. They are the very words of God. If you've never been amazed by this, you should be. If this has never blown you away, well, it should because, because the creator of the universe has breathed out a book. <laughs> the creator of heavens and earth has breathed out a book, and, and we get it. Most of you in this room have probably half a dozen of them in your home. <laughs> a book, a book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. This is the living Word of God. We have the access. We, we can read the mind of God revealed in a book. Am I the only one who thinks that's cool? That is pretty cool. We have access to the knowledge that is unshakably true and infinitely valuable, infinitely. Do you treasure? Do you love? Do you read? Do you meditate? Do you memorize? Do you study this book? Are you true to its divine worth? Because this will change your life. It changed Timothy's. It changed Paul's. Listen to this. I love this. I have it on the screen, but the psalmist says this in Psalm 19. He says, The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to, be, more, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. More precious than gold, much fine gold, sweeter than honey, even honey from the honeycomb. So I said to the elders here tonight who are younger than me, I say to the young people tonight, 
I'm saying what you've learned. Continue. Continue in it. Continue in it. Because if in 10 and 20 and 30 years, if I survive another 30 years, I'll be 90. So, yeah, well, I'll leave that to your imagination. Um, but listen, if we, if we want this to continue to be a place of salvation and a place of treasure and a place of sweetness and a place of the presence of God, we're going to have to continue. And we're going to have to continue to do this very thing, prioritize the presence. How do we do it? We do it when we fall to our faces and to our knees and pray, and we fall in love with this incredible book, and we make it part of our daily life. There's something so beautiful when this happens. It's beautiful. Um, I, I, I love this. This isn't, about, this isn't about me. This isn't about Philip Emerson. This is about, this is about a king. And he's not just any old king. He's the king of kings. And his name is Jesus. And he breathed out a book. And we've got it. So I can tell you something. That's going to change your life. That'll change your life. You better believe it. That is the most foundational reason, Timothy, where Paul says, why you should continue in the truth you've learned. It's the truth of the God-breathed Scripture. And then lastly, he says this, all scriptures breathed out by God is profitable for teaching. All right, profitable for teaching. That word profitable was first used in um, the first letter in 4.8. And he says this, bodily training is a little profitable. All right? So he says, if you're looking after yourself physically, and you should, he says, it's, it's a little profitable. Because what he's saying is, these bodies, one day, are gonna, they're not going to last. All right? You're, you're, we're all going to die one day if the, Lord don't, if the Lord hasn't come back. So he said, these bodily exercises, he says, it profits a little bit. He's not saying, don't do it. But he's saying this, he said, godliness is a value in every way. He says, if you were to line this up in your physical exercise with your spiritual exercise, he said, this by far way, by far outweighs anything bodily or physically you will ever do. Because he says, it equips you for for the good work. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, here's the question. Does your spiritual regime match your physical regime? Do you spend as much time getting ready to meet the King of Kings as you do doing your hair? No, it doesn't take me long to do mine. And putting your makeup on. And, and I'm not saying those things are bad, but sometimes we're so, we spend so much time with things that are decaying and we miss the main thing. This is what Paul's saying. This is what he's saying. That godliness that's profitable in every way, even into eternity, is explained here as coming from Scripture. Profitable. The profitable effect of Scripture according that every man may be equipped for every good work. I love that, equipped for every good work. That's what godliness is. And the way it comes about is by the Scriptures. Scriptures in the hands of the Holy Spirit has the power to make us the kind of people who can discern what good needs to be done. Hence, our, our mental health campaign. All right? It's a good work. It's a good work. And I believe it's inspired because loads of people need our help. And so there's something about this. And where do we get that? Well, we get it from the Scripture. 
It wasn't just a, a brainwave of somebody in our team. We get it from the Bible, knowing that we need to be equipped for every good work. You know what that word equipped means? It means to be transformed, to be empowered, to be enabled, equipped for action. The God-breed Bible aims to make us godly, all right? Uh, to make us doers of His Word. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Uh, you've heard me say this, if you've come to this church any length of time, that little... Um, uh, writing that, that Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, what we've made a little song out of that we sing in Sunday school, the wise man built his house upon the... Don't let me sing it. Um, you know the song, don't didn't you? It, it, wasn't just, it wasn't just a little course that we should sing to our, our kids in Sunday school. He says, he that hears my word and does it is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. He who hears my word and does it not is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. You see, the God-breathed Bible aims to make us godly, and whenever you're godly, it makes you good. It makes you good, all right? And it makes you a doer of good deeds. Don't ever misrepresent them or misunderstand them. They're really powerful. And here's what happens. Uh, I, I... this is my own little theology, all right? Teaching leads us three ways, and then we'll, we'll finish with this. All right, so if you did a big T here, right? Big T. All right, that's teaching, all right? So he's saying, he's saying here, oh, the, the Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for T, for teaching. Well, what I've learned after been a Christian for a long, long time now, 53 years, after being a Christian that long, I've learned as I've studied the Bible to look for the cross in every page. Even when you come to Leviticus, if you want to learn how to teach the Bible, look for the cross. Look for Jesus in every page. All right? That's how to get through Leviticus, just in case you wondered how to get through it. All right? Just look for Jesus in every page. You see, you see, it's a hymn book. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. And if we can find him on every page. So what he's saying, he's saying all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching. So what happens whenever we're on a journey and we, we start to head away from the cross? When we start to head away from a cross, it's a bad idea. All right? When we start to leave the teaching that God has taught us, then it's a bad idea. And so somebody needs to bring a little reproof. And so a mommy or a granny, in this case or an Apostle Paul, or a pastor, or a teacher can make a little challenge and say, you know what? You're going the wrong way. That's what reproof is, all right? And then what, so this is reproof, okay? So reproof comes here, and if you're wise, you'll take good reproof, and you'll make a correction, (laughs) all right? So the corrections you bend, all right? So I'll just put a big C there for correction. So the teaching... If we, if we stray from it, somebody brings reproof, it brings a correction, and we start the journey back in this journey, you see it? And it brings correction, and it brings us back to training for righteousness. So, so here we're back, at the, we're back at the tea again, all right? So, so we've left the cross, we've went the wrong road, somebody brought reproof, we brought correction to that, we come back to teaching and training in righteousness, and you know what happens it starts to equip us for every good work. See that? And we learn to live around this thing. We learn the God story. We learn that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We learn that even we go through the valley of the shadow of death, He'll be there 
We learn that He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We learn that He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. We learn that whenever we're down, He'll restore our soul and He'll restore paths to walk in. Do you get it? It's beautiful, isn't it? And it all comes, it all comes from just establishing ourselves in the Word of God, just understanding the Word of God, allowing it to sink in, allowing it to become part of who we are. And this is why Timothy, Paul is saying, Timothy, don't forsake your mother's and your grandmother's teaching. Continue in it, stay in it, remain in it. Not like the boys in verse 13. He says, because the, the character of the people you learned it from is really, really important. The marks of divine holiness are in this incredible Bible that you have. He says they're able to make you wise even unto salvation. He said the scripture that you have is breathed out of God. And he says it's profitable. Man, it's so profitable. And he says if you build your life around the cross, he says you'll be equipped for every good work. <laughs> equipped for every good work. Beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. Claire's going to come. We're going to sing a song about a beautiful name. What a beautiful name it is. Now, as they're setting up and getting ready, I want to say a couple of things. Perhaps the most pointed question I could ask at the close is this. If Paul says that bodily exercise is little profitable and godliness is profitable for eternity... And if the Scripture is the key to equipping you for that godliness, then are you given as much care to the godliness of your life as you are to the physical health of your life? That's what we've said a minute ago. Because, you see, we hear this everywhere we go now. You are what you eat, don't you? <laughs> everywhere you go, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. And it's true. You are what you eat. And, um, and here's what Jeremiah, Robbie quoted this last week, I think as well, in Jeremiah 15, 16, didn't you? Um, uh, when your word came, here's the word of Jeremiah. He says, I ate them. I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. And he said, I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Jeremiah realized if he was going to bear the name of the Lord, that he needed to make his word, a healthy diet. And I think we live in a day and age in which that has slipped a little bit. And you know my passion for this. I've wrote a devotion on the whole Bible for not because I had nothing else to do, but I did it because I want you to read it. Because I've learned after doing this for five decades that if you can continue and just keep it, When my wife died at 47, and I thought, I thought I could never live another day, I'd learned something, you see, as a boy. I'd learned this, and it became my food. It became something to live on every day because there was nothing else at that time. And I remember saying to God, God, if what I've learned about you is true, and I continue, then I'll make it. And if I don't, I'm lost anyway. So my challenge to you tonight is, how's your 
spiritual diet? Is your every day with Jesus become every other day? Or every third day? Or maybe just every now and again? Or when you feel like it? You see, there's a discipline in this. And before it can ever become a desire or a delight, it has to become a discipline. And discipline's not good. We don't, it's not a nice word. We don't like it. But some people say to me, Phil, you love, you seem to love the Bible. I do. I love it with all my heart. It's become a desire and a delight of my life. I couldn't go a day without it. I don't think I could go a half day without it. But it wasn't always like that. It was a discipline. And it took time. And it took effort. And it took sacrificing some other things. And so my challenge to you as we close is this. Don't tell me you love Jesus if you don't love this. Because this is Him. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. This is the written Word. This is the God-breathed book. So, I know it's challenging. Challenges me. And I have to work at this just like you have. But what I'd love to do as we close, it's 5-2, and what I'd love us to do, I'd love us to... Jesus said when he was tempted, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what I'd love us to do, young people... You, you need to continue in this. I'm not always going to be here beating this drum. Um, and I don't want this to be a one or a two or a three or a four generation church that loses its way and loses its ethos and loses its oomph in the Word of God. I want this to be a church that in years and in decades to come, if the Lord hasn't come back, and He probably will have, but if he doesn't, I want this to be a church that oozes the life of God because I want it to be established in his word, the living word. So, I don't really know what else to say. I could do a nice cool response and get you all to come and lie on the floor and do something, but you do whatever you feel you need to do right now. We're going to stand and we're going to worship together and we're going to talk about and sing about what a beautiful name that is. Let's sing it as our closing response tonight. If you want to come and lie in this space or kneel in it, you're welcome to do that. Um, if you feel that helps you to do that, then do it. Um, but let's just respond with this as our closing prayer, and then Robbie will, will, will finish us off as we pray. So let's stand together. Lord, seal your word tonight. Help us to continue in the things that we've learned, Lord. Help us to be things that we'll hold on to and we'll stay in and we'll remain and hold fast, Lord. Stick fast and become unmovable in our lives. So bless as we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk